I just want to pray for us before we get into the message, all right? Lord Jesus, we pray that you would just come and visit us here. Lord, that you would speak to us in every heart and give us your peace and comfort. Lord, we know that uh, there is uh, problems in every heart that arrived here today. Struggles, complaints, victories, oppression. There's so many things that happen, Lord. We, we need you. We sang that song. A moment ago, Lord, we do need you, and we pray that you would visit us and that you would sit beside each of us and put your arm around each of us and that you would comfort us as only you can. We know that life is not easy. It's not supposed to be. But we know that in the middle of it, you are there with us. And I pray today that you would encourage every heart here today. Help us to see the good, Lord. Help us to know there is good. Help us to know there is life. And help us to walk in it today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. All right. Ephesians chapter 5. We're going to talk about the spirit-filled life. I'm going to turn that. It is off. I know what's going on. The Spirit-filled life. We're going to talk about that in one verse. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 18 is our text this morning. Uh, before you stand, I would like to say this. Uh, will gasoline ever stop going up? Uh, probably not for a little while, it sounds like. Uh, hearing rumors from people that... Uh, you might want to store up on your gas because there may be shortages in transportation coming up in the near future. I don't know how somebody would store up on gas, but uh, just hear things like that. We, we see uh, rolling blackouts already beginning out in uh, California and Washington, Oregon. The, the energy grid that we have in our country struggles with keeping up with the energy, and we, we may see rolling blackouts across the East Coast as well. And different places as we get into summer, there just seems to be a problem with energy and resources to keep up with demand. And wouldn't it be interesting if we had the possibility of an endless supply of energy and power that was at our beckoned call. All we had to do was sign up for it, push a button to receive it, uh, somehow implement it into our homes, our cars, and with that availability, there would still be people who would not use it and would not utilize it. They would just go on through life day in and day out, the same as they've always done, without this free, inexhaustible source of power available to them. Well, I just described to you uh, many of you here this morning as far as spiritual things are concerned. You go through life, you go through the ups and downs, the ins and outs, you go through the problems, the trials, the joys, but you don't have that inexhaustible power that is available to you at the call of a prayer, at the surrender of a heart, at the obedience of the Word, and that power is called the Holy Spirit that's been given to us. And it's available to every person, 
God is not a respecter of persons. He doesn't pick and choose who might get the power more than others. That Holy Spirit is available to every one of us, and yet we all live without taking advantage of that. And so today I want to begin a little uh, series. We've been in Ephesians 5, but let's just start another one in Ephesians 5 about uh, this power that God makes available to us and how we can live it and live in it and with it and use it. And then what are the results of that spirit-filled life that you and I are supposed to take possession of. So now let's stand and read Ephesians chapter 5. And I want to back up a little ways to verse 15. We've already talked about many of these things we're going to read right now, but it all goes together. Verse 16, I'm sorry, verse 15, Therefore be careful how you walk, not as unwise men, but as wise, making the most of your time, because the days are evil. So then, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit. Let's pray together. Lord, bless uh, your word this morning in your house, in your people's hearts. Lord, and help us to see uh, the availability of your Holy Spirit and what he can do and wants to do in each of our lives. We pray this today in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Thank you. You know, um, it's vital that you and I understand that uh, the Christian life is not difficult. It is impossible. Okay? The Christian life is not difficult. It is impossible apart from the Spirit of God. You can't live and walk with God if you don't have the Spirit of God. You can't make it. You can pretend, you can hold that up for a while, you can keep that going, but if you don't have it, it will become evident, and you will stop, and you will falter, and you will fail. The Christian life is difficult, is not difficult, I'm sorry, it is impossible apart from the Spirit of God. Look what Jesus said, for apart from me, you can do nothing. Amen? Apart from Christ, we can do nothing. Here's another one, John 14, 6. I will ask the Father, and He will give you another helper, that He may be with you forever. God has this available to you. All you have to do is receive it. If you're a Christian, you already possess Him. He lives in you. Now, He may be living in the basement of your heart, but He's there. If you're not a Christian, then you don't have the Spirit of God and we'll get into that in just a moment. What I want you to see, first of all, is that Paul is bringing us a contrast in verse 18. He says, Do not be filled or drunk with wine, for that is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit. We sang, or Stephen read some text from Acts about the people being confused about the disciples being possessed with the Spirit of God and speaking in other languages, and the people thought they were drunk. Maybe Paul was referring to that or thinking of that day of Pentecost 
when he wrote this text about do not be filled or drunk with wine, but be filled with the Spirit of God. So he makes a contrast for you and I uh, to see here. And the contrast is that you can either be influenced and under the influence of wine, or you can be influenced or under the influence of the Spirit of God. So he makes a contrast for you and I to see. Now, the Bible, in reference to wine and drinking and drunkenness, throughout the Scripture, it always encourages us to not do it. Do not. And here are the results. We go back to Isaiah, we go to Proverbs, we go to other scriptures, and it always speaks out against the consumption of alcohol, especially drunkenness. It never encourages us to be drunk. It never encourages us to drink it for the fact of becoming drunk. In fact, it always condemns drunkenness. Does it not? The Bible condemns drunkenness. He uses the word dissipation there, which is a word that you and I might understand as wasteful, right? Do not be drunk with wine. That is wasteful. He points to the wastefulness and the destruction of property, relationships, and life that goes along with alcohol. Nothing good comes from alcohol. There's nothing but a pair of boxing gloves in the bottom of every bottle of alcohol. Nothing good about it. The Bible condemns drunkenness. It tells you not to do it. It encourages you along that way. We know by fact that alcohol can be addicting, right? Physically addicting to people. The Bible does not call this an addiction. It doesn't say alcohol is addicting. What it does say is that we are enslaved by it. All right? It's not a disease. Today our science wants to call alcoholism a disease. It's not a disease. Why is it not a disease? Because it is an act of the will. It is an act of the flesh. No one's forcing you to do it. You choose to do it. Therefore, it's not a disease It is a sin. Paul makes his first point by saying this on the screen. It is sin to deal with the evil days under the influence of alcohol. We read it there in verse 16. Making the most of your time because the days are evil. And do not be drunk with wine. So Paul says it is sinful to turn to alcohol in the evil days than it is to turn to Christ in the evil days. He's making that comparison. Don't turn to alcohol. Turn to the Spirit of God. Turn to Jesus Christ. It's not a disease. If it was a disease, then we would be without hope in overcoming alcoholism. If it was a disease, we would be without hope in overcoming it. But it is not a disease, it is a sin. Therefore, there is hope to overcome it. And the remedy for that is to be born again and to receive the Spirit of God and overcome that sin in one's life of alcoholism. I am a witness to that. Okay? I am a witness to that. I 
was enslaved to that. God moved into my heart through the Holy Spirit, and I overcame that because of the Spirit of God. I know firsthand knowledge. You struggle with that, then you need to come and see me. It's foolish to cope with the evil days by turning to alcohol. Now, the Christian is not immune to this, all right? I hear it a lot. People confess to me, people come and talk to me about things, and and they say, you know, uh, there was so much stress at work and so much problems, I came home and I had a drink, and and, and it just calmed my nerves. Hey, that's that's your deal. That's, That's what you do to calm your nerves. The problem with that is this, that now the alcohol, the drink, becomes your comforting reliance. This is where you find your peace in that little drink that you get when you come home from work. Maybe there's stress in your family. Maybe there's stress between you and the wife so you knock down a couple of beers and you forget about the problem and it goes away from your mind for just a moment. Guess what? The problem with that is that those couple of beers or a six-pack or a 12-pack that turns into your peace. You find your peace in that alcohol. You find your comfort in going to the drink instead of coming to Christ, instead of turning to the Holy Spirit who dwells in you. So you see, Paul makes a contrast and a comparison. It's sinful to turn to alcohol to find peace in these evil days when the Holy Spirit is right there to do the same and more. For you. That's Paul, I'm sorry, that's Paul's first point. We cannot drink ourselves into calmness, but we can find peace in Jesus Christ. Now, the second point I want you to see is this one. To live wisely is to live under the influence of the Holy Spirit. Don't be drunk with wine, which is wastefulness, but be filled with the Spirit of God. In that second half of that verse, I want to ask you three questions, or help you to answer three questions, actually. What is it to be filled with the Spirit of God? The second one is, how can I experience the filling of the Spirit of God? And the third one is, how can I know that I'm filled with the Spirit of God? All right? The first question then, what is the filling of the Spirit of God? This is where a person is yielded to the Holy Spirit in every area of his life. All right? That is someone who is filled with the Spirit of God. He has yielded every area of his life to the Spirit of God. He lives a life of increasing maturity, not a one-time momentary experience of the Spirit. This is a person who, filled with the Spirit, lives that consistently in his life, full of the Holy Spirit. Luke chapter 4 said this, Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit. Acts chapter 6, Stephen, being filled with the Holy Spirit. Acts chapter 11, Barnabas, full of the Holy Spirit. So you see... There are opportunities for a man or a woman to be filled or to be full of the Holy Spirit of God. This is a person who has yielded every area of life to the Holy Spirit's leading. 
Listen, I prayed for us a moment ago. There was oppression here. There's oppression in your heart, in your life, in your moments right now. You're sensing it. You're under that oppression. That's not coming from God, by the way. That is coming from the devil trying to kill, steal, and destroy. But you can have victory over that by yielding to the Holy Spirit. He's already won the victory. Now He wants to lead you in it. But you must yield to Him. You must surrender to Him as Jesus did. As, as uh, Barnabas did. As Stephen did as well. Full of the Holy Spirit. A person living with every area of life under the control of the Holy Spirit. Being filled with the Spirit is not a one-time act where we talk about receiving the Spirit and now they're full of the Spirit. It is really a life consistently walking with God, and you are continually being filled with the Spirit of God as you walk with Him. It is really a sign of maturity. Sure, a new believer can be filled with the Spirit of God, but it rarely happens that way. It is usually as a person matures in Christ and grows with Christ, he is being filled with the Spirit of God. And we look at his life or her life and we see that they are not living a self-willed life. They are living a Spirit-controlled life. We see that in individuals in our own lives and in our churches, in our communities. What happens with this person is that they are exemplifying the fruit of the Spirit. The Spirit is in them and the fruit of the Spirit comes out of them. Okay, we see people like that. Love, joy, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, all of those fruits of the Spirit, nine of them listed there in the book of Galatians. So to be filled with the Spirit is to have or yield to the Holy Spirit's control in your life in every situation. Don't think you can hold parts out of your life that God's not going to be in charge of. God must be in charge of all the parts of your life. The second thing that we see being filled with the Spirit is that this person is under the control of the Word of God. To be filled with the Spirit is to be filled with the Word. Amen? To be filled with the Word is to be filled with the Spirit. They go hand in hand together. To be filled leads us to a godly life that we all desire to live. To be filled with the Word and the Spirit. This Spirit filling leads an individual to a deepening relationship with Jesus Christ. That's what you really want. You may not realize that. I may have to be telling you that right now. But you are really after a deeper walk with your Lord. This is what it means to be filled with the Spirit. He leads us in that way. The Holy Spirit is a person. He is not a force in the universe. Okay? Jesus called Him He. He is a person. He is not a force. He is not a formula that you put together and decipher and you find the Holy Spirit. It is by relationship. It is by the relationship you have with God he moves His Spirit into your life and you live. As I said, a newer Christian and a mature Christian, the capacity expands over time as you mature as a believer and you receive the Holy Spirit. It is a continual filling, not a special occasion to be filled with the Spirit. 
That is to be empowered by the Spirit. We find the empowering of the Spirit in the Old Testament. Even in the New Testament, God put a special filling or empowering of the Spirit on a man to accomplish a task. Moses was going to build the tabernacle, and God said, I have filled this man, Othanel, with the Spirit of God in wisdom and construction. And so God empowered this man to design and build the tabernacle of God under the leadership of Moses. You see how that works. God can do that empowering. But to be filled with the Spirit is a continual filling, not a special occasion. Let me reference like this. Uh, many of you know what a flood control pond is or a lake. And those were built to uh, withhold erosion. And so now many of ours are silted in around this part of the country. Amen? Terrible thing for fishermen to have a silted in lake. But that's the fact. So what's the best flood control pond? One that has a spring in it. And it's continually filling with water from the ground. Then there are other flood controls that were built primarily for runoff. No spring in them, but man, they are massive and beautiful and elegant when they are filled up with all that rainwater. And then eventually they dry out and go to dust again. What's the best kind of flood control to have? One that has a spring in it. It's continually got water going in. What's the best kind of Christian life to live? The kind where you are continually filled with the Spirit of God. And then a flood comes in of the Holy Spirit and you are able to contain that as well. And sure, that's momentary. That will dry up. That will leave you. But that continual filling will always be there. That's what Paul is after for us today. Now, we've talked about what the Spirit filling of the Spirit is, let's talk about what it is not, okay? Let's talk about what it is not. The filling of the Spirit is not the same as the baptism of the Spirit or of the sealing with the Holy Spirit. We read those things, and there are uh, denominations, and I've preached this here before, about how we look at and approach the Holy Spirit. What someone has to understand is this, that the book of Acts is a transitional book. All right, so God took the book of Acts and he started building his church. And in that book of Acts, you will find things there that you don't find anywhere else in the scripture because it's a transition from Judaism to Christianity. And so God performed wonders and signs in the book of Acts that he does not do in the rest of the text in the books of the New Testament because it's a transitional book. So we read about the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Some denominations want to tell us that unless you speak in tongues, you don't have the Spirit of God. But they fail to read where Paul says, not every believer speaks in tongues. So how does that, uh, how does that weigh out? How does that measure out? It can't measure out that way. The baptism of the Spirit is along the same lines as the sealing of the Holy Spirit. Let me show you some text to support this idea that we hold true. Acts chapter 1. This is in the book of Acts, the beginning of the church. Which he said, Jesus, you heard from me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. 
Acts chapter 1, he's referring to the day of Pentecost. Okay, let's go on. Acts chapter 2. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit was giving them utterance. So in the same text, we find the church beginning. The term used baptized in the Spirit is used in one place, referring to when the Holy Spirit came to them in that upper room. And here we read it. Here he uses the word filled or filling. They were filled with the Spirit. So we see the two simultaneous things being used by different words to occur at the same time, the same place. After this transition period, when God put His Holy Spirit on these believers, Stephen read it in the last days that God would put His Spirit on men and women. When are the last days? Not today. The last days started when Jesus was here. He started the last days. So any time from His death until now is the last days. And Stephen's text says that God would pour His Spirit out on men and women in the last days. And so we are all baptized. What does that mean? To be immersed. To be immersed in the Spirit. We are all filled with the Spirit. During and after this transitional period, we read in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 about the Spirit. For by one Spirit we were all baptized into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free, and we were all made to drink of one Spirit. All right? So, a body of Christ, the true believers in a church, have all been receiving of the Holy Spirit, baptized into one body. You see that? Okay, here's another text referring to the Spirit. Romans 8, 9. However, you are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God dwells in you. But if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he does not belong to him. What is that saying right there? That there are not Christians who do not possess the Spirit of God. That is saying that all Christians possess the Spirit of God. All Christians have the Spirit of God. That's what that verse is telling us right there. Here's another one that I want you to read, two screens worth. Galatians. You foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you before whose eyes Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified? This is the only thing I want to find out from you. Did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law or by hearing with faith? Are you so foolish having begun by the Spirit? Are you now being perfected by the flesh? Did you suffer so many things in vain, if indeed it was in vain? So then, does he who provides you with the Spirit and works miracles among you, does he do it by the works of the law or by the hearing with faith? Paul is writing to the Galatians, and he says, you have the Spirit of God in you. And yet you think it's by doing and acting and all of the other things that go along with the law that you are going to gain more spirit and become more mature? No. The spirit belongs to every believer. Why did God give us the spirit of God? Ephesians chapter 1 tells us 
In Him, you also, after listening to the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, having also believed, you were sealed in Him with the Holy Spirit of promise. Who gets the Spirit? The one who hears the message and believes. Amen? That's what that verse tells us. And God puts a seal on you, a stamp of approval. He says, this is my Holy Spirit. I'm giving this to you because why? You've heard the message and you have believed it. Here's another one in Ephesians. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Here's one more, 2 Corinthians 1. Now he who establishes us with you in Christ and anointed us in God, who also sealed us and gave us the Spirit in our hearts as a pledge. How is the Spirit received? By faith, by hearing the message, by believing the message, the gospel of my salvation. God put His Spirit on me. All right? There's not a, a future day when I ask God to give me His Spirit, when I ask God to baptize me in the Spirit, when I ask God to fill me with the Spirit. Brother, when you became a Christian, you were filled with the Spirit of God. You were fully filled with the Spirit of God. As I said, there are times when He will empower you to do great godly tasks with a, an anointing of the Spirit of God. But don't ever think that you don't have the Spirit if you're a Christian. If you don't have the Spirit of God, well, we'll get into that in a minute, then you are not a Christian. All right? You can want to all you can, but you don't have the Spirit, you don't have Christ. The filling or the baptism or the sealing of the Spirit of God is never commanded in Scripture. God doesn't say, be baptized in the Holy Spirit. God doesn't say, be sealed with the Holy Spirit. But God does command us to be filled with the Holy Spirit of God. Okay? So there is a difference in the baptism, the sealing, and the filling of the Spirit of God. The second question, and that was the first question that I wanted to ask you. What is the filling of the Spirit of God? Now, here's the second question. How can I experience that filling of the Spirit? How can I live that kind of a life? I've already explained much of it to you, but I want you to understand a couple of things. You uh, are saved. If you are saved and you have the Holy Spirit, what you need to do now is yield to the Holy Spirit. You have Him, now you must yield to Him. That is how you can know. You must recognize and acknowledge that you are empty without the Spirit of God. You cannot do anything apart from Him. You must have the Spirit in you. You must walk and live by faith and not your feelings. There will be battles of the flesh and the Spirit that you endure and that you go through. You must join your faith with the obedience of the Word. To have the Spirit of God and to experience Him dwelling in you. You must dwell in God's Word. You must abide in the Word of God. Then you can experience the filling of the Holy Spirit. As God's Word is read by you, the Holy Spirit instructs you in it and through it. And you experience the Holy Spirit and the filling and the life of the Spirit. Okay? Now, the last question, how can I know that I am filled with the Spirit of God? That's a good question, right? Well, let's look at that in some detail. The Spirit-filled life 
produces ever-increasing Christ-likeness. When Jesus said that the Spirit would be sent, the Helper, the Comforter, Jesus said He would do three things. He would convict the world of sin. He would convict the world of righteousness. He would convict the world of judgment. Okay? That's the work of the Holy Spirit. As I said on the back of your bulletin this morning, we can see our sin when we become Christian for the first time. We see it, and we are allowed to repent of it and to turn to God. We are convicted of what is right, what is righteousness, a right relationship with God. We are convicted of that, and we long for that. That's what the Holy Spirit does for us. And then the Holy Spirit also convicts us of judgment. There are consequences to our disobedience. There are consequences to the world as it is going to be judged for its sin. The Spirit-filled life produces an ever-increasing Christ-likeness in us. So the question is this to you this morning. Are you being changed? Has the Holy Spirit come in your life at your birth and changed you? Are you different than you used to be? Are you a new person? Do you have a new outlook? Do you have a new walk? How about your character? Are you changed? Are you positive or are you negative? Are you a pessimist or are you an optimist? You see, it's difficult to be a pessimist in a Christian body. Amen? Amen? It's difficult. Oh, you can do it. You, you, can, you can bear down and be negative in a Christian body, but it is difficult because that is not Christ and that is certainly not the Spirit that God has given you. At your rebirth, have you been changed? Is your character changed? Is your conduct changed? Are the deeds that you accomplish, are they changed? What does your neighbor say about that? What does your best friend say about that? Do they see the change? Do they see a new person? Are you the same old person? Let me uh, give you a little glimpse of the future. Uh, verse 19. Let's look at that. He says in 18, Do not get drunk with wine, for that is a wastefulness, but be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody with your heart to the Lord always giving thanks for all things in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ to God, even the Father, and be subject to one another in the fear of Christ. What is the proof that you have the Spirit of God? You praise. Some of you this morning weren't even cracking a smile during the music. Some of you weren't singing, surely. What's proof of the Spirit? Singing, praising, worshiping, giving thanks. You see, it goes way beyond just being a Christian, waiting for Him to come and take me home. It goes into my conduct. It goes into my outlook. It goes into my life. How do I know that I have the Spirit of God? I want to praise. I want to sing. I want to rejoice. I want to give thanks. 
all in the name of the Lord Jesus. I want to be in submission to you and you in submission to me. I want to put you above me. I want you to put me above you. That's what this says. This is the proof of the Spirit of God. Do we have that? Are we singing? Are we making melody in our heart? Are we giving thanks? Are we submitting to one another? Am I filled with the Spirit of God? That's proof. That's what I need to see in me. That's what you need to see in you. Would those closest to you agree? Would those who know you the best, would they agree that you are positive? That you are uplifting? Or would they see something different in you? Let me ask you another question. If the Holy Spirit left you, the Holy Spirit withdrew from your heart, how long would it take you to know? A minute? A day? A week? How long would it take you to realize the Holy Spirit has departed from you? You know, we read about that in, in uh, the Old Testament. Saul, King Saul, right? God took his spirit out of Saul. Saul went on about the business of the world like nothing had changed. I'm afraid today that if God took his spirit out of some churches, they would still meet, they would still gather, they would still give, they would still baptize, they would still go through the motions, but there would be nothing generated by it because the spirit of God has been removed. Man, don't let that happen to you. Realize it. I want you to be in a place that when God took his spirit from you, instantly you would feel it and know it. What did David say to God? Do not take your Holy Spirit from me. Psalms 51. Amen. David knew. David understood that Old Testament saint. He knew about the Spirit of God and what it was to have it and to live in it. There is no energy shortage with God's Holy Spirit. It is available to all of us. It is commanded that we do it. Be Filled with the Spirit of God. The question is, will I fill up? Will I do that? Or will I go on about my business? Brother Clay, I don't really like change. I don't want to be different. I don't want to be looking different, acting different, talking different. I want to just be the same old, same old. The Spirit of God is available. Will you Allow Him to fill you and operate in you and follow Him. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank You for Your Word today. Just one simple verse, Lord, to show us that You command us to be filled with Your Spirit. And Father, I know there are many times I, I am lacking in that. Myself personally. And Father, I pray You forgive me. And I pray that You help me to understand that it is a continual feeling that I'm after and that I need and that things in my life get in the way. Lord, help me to remove those and let your spirit be in control of my life. I pray that for every person here. As Cole read earlier, and when they had all prayed, the place where they were gathered was shaking and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit of God. I pray, Lord, that would happen here at Aaron Springs and that people would see the church on fire again for you. And I praise you today for that in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.